This is, knowing all the kids are in here, this will be a little bit different uh, this morning. Uh, and so we will continue to kind of figure this out along the way on what is most beneficial uh, to the kids and the adults. Uh, so we appreciate uh, just everyone's willingness to jump in on this. And so this morning we're going to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture, uh, talking about uh, the prodigal son, which is a better name, the story of two sons. And so this is a parable. Uh, and so you kids in your uh, time in the Redeemer Kids Ministry, uh, Miss Anne has talked to you a lot about parables. And so, Anne, you can hit the slide on parables. And so a parable is simply a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. Uh, so one parable is uh, that, you know, that came to mind when I was thinking about parables is the parable of the tortoise and the hare. Uh, so the age old story of, you know, the hare getting off to a fast start, running out of energy or getting distracted and the slow and steady tortoise. Also a turtle kind of winning the race along the way. Uh, in my 38, almost 39 years, I've never actually seen a tortoise race a hare, much less than like talk to each other along the way. Uh, so just a reminder that parables, you know, they have their fiction in the sense that they didn't actually happen, but they are a story about what uh, a story to help us understand something, a lesson. And the parables in the Bible are stories to help us understand something about who God is. And so. In this story, um, we also uh, want to remember that it's about two brothers, and uh, let's raise your hand if you, are a, if you are a sibling to someone else, brother or sister, yes. Uh, so if you are the older, raise your hand if you're the older sibling, perfect. That doesn't mean that you uh, can relate perfectly to the older sibling in this story. Remember, it's a story. Uh, so if you're, the, if you're the older sibling and you read this story about the younger sibling that kind of made a mess their life, you don't leave here and be like, See, I've been telling you mom and dad this whole time, uh, I'm the one that didn't make these mistakes. Or if you're the younger sibling, you don't look at it and say all the bad things about the older sibling in the story don't necessarily apply to your family. So remember that. Uh, also, kids, in Redeemer Kids Ministry, you guys have been talking about prophets from the Old Testament. Uh, so up on the screen, I have a definition. A prophet is simply a spokesman or spokeswoman for God. Uh, so they are a kind of a mouthpiece or a megaphone for God. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we have a ton of incredibly um, powerful prophets. And uh, in Jesus, uh, we also see he is a prophet of God. And kind of all those Old Testament prophets were kind of leading up, telling people about Jesus. And now Jesus here is the mouthpiece of God. So this parable is not simply just kind of a fun story, kind of like the tortoise and the hare. It is a parable, a story teaching us something. And God is trying to tell us something about him. And this message is from God. Amen? Amen. Okay, and as I read this, we're going to have some fun pictures on the screen, um, and I also am going to kind of be taking some breaks along the way uh, as I uh, read this um, to kind of explain some things, and then I'm going to pray, but after I do that, I would like the kids, or if you're under 18, and if you're over 18, you know, you can jump in too, um, but we're actually going to ask you to tell us a few things that you observe about this parable, this story. Uh, so, Miss Anna, it's going to grab a mic after I pray, and we're actually going to let you go. We're going to give you the mic, uh, which is a, always a little bit scary, uh, but we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to take the risk this morning. Uh, and so by three or four of you, we want you to tell us what you observe, uh, and then we'll kind of get into the sermon from there. Uh, how does that sound? All right. All right. Let's do it then. 
All right, you'll see uh, Luke 15, 11, um, through the end of the chapter. Uh, so it's a little bit long, but there's, there's pictures, so you should be okay. Um, all, right, all right, Jesus continued, and, remember, and he is talking to the Pharisees, kind of the super religious people of the day. And Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons, a father that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. So back in those days, a quick pause here, back in those days, the father of the household, uh, he would, when he died, when he passed away at the end of his life, he would pass along everything to his kids. That's called an inheritance. But in this scenario, the father has not died. A father is still alive. And one of the sons, the younger son, is saying, I want my stuff now. I want you. I don't care if you live or die. I want my stuff now. And it's hard for us in our world to kind of get our head even around how awful of a request this is, but it's it's unbelievably rude and disrespectful to that dad. And as kids, you can kind of think of the most rude, they don't say it, but think of the most rude thing you could think of to say to your parents and then multiply that by like 100, and that is what happened here. Not long after that, the younger son, after the father had given him that property, the younger son got together all that he had, and he peaced out. He set off for a distant country, and while he was there, he squandered, meaning he wasted all of his wealth, all of the money, in wild living, making silly mistakes. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, meaning that there was not a lot of food to eat in that whole country, and the younger son began to be in need. He was out of money, was hungry, didn't have anywhere to stay. So he went out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. The younger son longed to fill his stomach with the pods, the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this son, this younger son who came from this incredible family full of wealth and um, kind of a love and kindness we see later on from the father, he's now off in a distant land, a place that is not home, and he's alone, and he's scared, and he's broke. And he's so hungry, so desperate that he's willing to eat what the pigs eat. Has anyone ever seen a pig on a farm? Raise your hand. Has anybody seen what the pigs eat? Keep your hand up. Has anyone who's seen that ever thought, hmm, that's what I would like for a snack? Vivian? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when I, we've, I've, there was a couple of times when we were doing stuff uh, with kids in the neighborhood years ago. We went out to this farm in West Georgia. And not only are they disgusting to look at, they just are, are covered in mud. Uh, and, then, and then they're eating this kind of like the whatever, everything from uh, the normal food plus everything that comes from the kitchen that the people don't want to eat, that's what they dump in this kind of bucket, and that's what the pigs eat. Disgusting. But this man messed up so much that he thought that he couldn't even be part of his own family. Let me go on here. When the younger son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, the people that worked on his father's property, 
have food to spare. They don't only get enough to eat, they've got extra food. And here I am starving to death. The younger son then says, I will set out and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So then the younger son got up and went to his father. He messed up so much that he thought he couldn't even be part of his own family ever again. At this point, he doesn't think his father could even treat him like a son. The son no longer thought that he would be welcomed back in. I thought about our home and at the dinner table. We don't always sit in the same seat, but if it's dinner time, every person in my family, including myself, knows that we have a spot at the table. And the younger son is thinking in this moment, he might invite me, maybe he'll give me some scraps, but the younger son is assuming there's no way he gets welcomed back in to have dinner with the family. You think about you in your home, in the bedroom that you have. You may share it with a sibling if you're a child, but still there's a spot in that house that is yours. Maybe it's a corner that's yours that nobody else can go into. Maybe it's the bed that you sleep on. Maybe it's even if you share a bed with somebody, is this part of the bed is mine, knowing at the end of the day I've got a spot that I get to lay my head. When the younger son decided to come back home, when he hit rock bottom, I'm sure he thought there's no chance that I would get to go back to my bedroom. He probably remembered back to his childhood where he had a spot, even if he shared a room with that older brother, he had a spot that was his, and he thought to, myself, he thought to himself, that life is over. There's no way I get to go back. But that's not what happened. While the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father was angry, no. His father was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed his son. So the father, when he sees the younger son coming to him, he showers him with love. And the father not only you know, doesn't just wait at the gate for him to get in back into his property, he runs towards him. And we don't understand this exactly. Probably if you're a child here, you've probably seen your parent maybe, you know, run uh, at a playground sprinting after a child that's going into the street, or you've seen them run on a jog. But back then, these old dudes just did not run. And so they wore these kind of, and I'm like, preach, like, where is that lifestyle again? Um, and so the old guys, they wore these things, we'll call them robes. And so to run, they would have kind of had to hike up those robes. And they would have never also shown that kind of that, the, the bottom parts of their leg. And so the dad, in his kind of love for his boy, is willing to be utterly embarrassed. And people would have looked on him like he was an absolute fool for doing this. But he was overwhelmed at the excitement to see his boy again. This is like if, it's like if his dad had like a brand new suit on and to get to his son, he had to run through kind of a, a field covered in mud or a brand new, you know, pair of Jordans or Air Maxes, a brand new pair of, you know, a nice dress shoes. And he's just covered in mud. That, that level of embarrassment would have been similar to what this man experienced. But that's just how excited he was. And the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against you, or sinned against heaven and against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son, even though he's seen his father run to him, still can't get his head around how, 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 lo- how loving his father is acting. So he apologizes again. But the father said to his servants, quick, get him the best robe, get him the best clothes we can find and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, and that ring is this beautiful symbol of him being in the family, in sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, bring the, get the biggest steak we can find, get out all his favorite ice creams, get every cake that we can get at Publix, get them all. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost physically and spiritually, and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field, presumably working. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. And the brother was not happy. The older brother became angry, refused to go inside. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving away for you. I've worked down to the bone. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father in love replied, Son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, and it is alive and at work since it was written, so 2,000 years later since it's read at 881 North Avenue today. Father, use this story to teach us, to grow us, to mold us, to to destroy our, our, our inaccurate pictures of who you are and give us a better, more vivid, more beautiful picture of the love you have for us. We sing Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, as promised, we want to hear some observations. So Anna, come on up. Uh, We got the mic right here. Uh, So hopefully there's something that kind of popped out at you, Um, children. uh, And if you're an adult, want to, you know, throw an observation out there, go ahead. Um, But we would love to hear from you. And the purpose of this is for you to, because this is what you do on Sunday mornings out in the trailers. Uh, And so we want to window into that. And we want you to help teach us how to observe things from scripture. So Foster, you seem like you're ready. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead, buddy. The dad 
was like God. He always forgets. Amen. Amen. That's good. This, I think the son was like us trying to turn away from his father, which is God, and he did not want to obey him. He just left the house, like how we leave God when we don't, when we are not trusting him. So then he came back because he he believed that his father, he just came back because he wanted his father to love him again, like God loved us. Amen. Amen. We can relate to that. Oh, we got one up here. Isaiah, I see you. So, I want to say that, well, I've actually noticed away people, and, well, what I hope from it is that sometimes even older kids can get kind of angry about things when they don't think it's for any reason. Yeah. Amen. Even Stop older fighting. kids get angry? Anyone else? Augustine, I'm coming for you. So the son was acting really weird, and he just did not like, he was like, I'm going to go spend all my money. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go blow off my money. I'm just going to, oh, I want to be rich. Oh, I'm going to take all my money, and the people steal from him. And he's like, I'm so poor. So he was acting really weird. Good job, good job. That's perfect. Anybody else? Guys, that was so helpful. Um, and I, uh, if, if you get to rotate into those older classrooms, you get to serve, but you also get to learn as well. Um, and so when we think about this story, you guys are exactly right. This story, this parable, is a parable about forgiveness. Uh, this is how God views us when we sin and then when we come home. So we think about that younger son and how he squandered it. Um, and I, I can't do the same voice as Augustine did. Um, but when he squanders that wealth and he thinks, I'm better off without my dad. If I could do this on my own, my life would be happier, would be more fulfilling, more joyful. He kind of sees the um, kind of the, the glitter uh, and glam of sin and says, I want to go after that. He has the money to spend. He spends it. So he, in essence, gets what he wants, and then it all goes away. And he's left feeling shameful and guilty, overwhelmed by the mistakes that he's made. And then he thinks to himself, I could never be loved again. And we've all been there as well. We've all made mistakes like that and been in that place where it's like, gosh, I don't deserve any sort of forgiveness from, the, from what I've done. But we see in this story that God views us the same way the Father views that, that Son. And the beauty of God's love is that it's not just the, the, the Father loving the younger Son that goes away and squanders his wealth and makes a mess of his life and sins, sin after sin after sin. He also offers that same love to that older son as well. 
So we hear from this story such, such genuine hope that no matter if you were the good kid that tried so hard that you might have stressed yourself out whenever you made a 98 instead of a 100 and you felt like you had to be perfect, or you're the kid that made a mess of your life and thinks there's no way that God could love a miserable sinner like me, the good news is that God offers his fatherhood to both of you. But in this story today, I'm drawn to one particular character. I'm drawn to that older brother who we don't really know much about until the very end of the story. And I want to focus on him today. The older brother, when the younger son comes back, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, asked him, talked to him, tried to convince him to come in, but he answered, look, I've been working all these years, and what have you ever done for me? When this son of yours who has squandered your property comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That older brother is angry, is bitter, and refuses to come to the party. Now, I asked myself, what is going on. I mean, what keeps the man from coming inside? And remember, this story is a parable, and you know, another way to look at it would be almost like there were, there were two twins. So picture two, two boys or two girls, two twins, and kind of twin one, we'll call him Jim. Uh, Tim, Tim, twin one, Jim, is an incredibly good student. Uh, so equally, they're both equally bright, but Jim tries so hard. And Jim May does all the homework, gets 100% in the participation grade, raises his hand when he's supposed to raise his hand, turns things in on time to his teachers, and he is making straight A's semester after semester in school. But Jim has a twin named John, and John is the opposite of Jim. John doesn't work hard in school, equally as bright, but doesn't apply himself, doesn't work hard, blows off homework, you know, doesn't turn in projects or papers, and then just barely skates by with a bunch of kind of lower grades than his brother Jim. But what happens is uh, there's all of a sudden a light bulb goes off, and John says, I'm going to work hard uh, on this one project, and you know, maybe the, the subject matter catches his eye or whatever, and he works so hard and he makes 100% an A-plus on the project. And he comes home, he gives it to his mom and dad, brings it out of his backpack, gives it to his mom and dad. And the mom and dad, how do you think they react? They are so excited. They say, we're going out to dinner. John, you can pick whatever restaurant you want. You go, we say, let's go to ice cream after the restaurant. And John is elated, and the parents are not doing anything wrong in that moment. But I imagine Jim, like the older brother in this story, is looking at, their, looking at mom and dad being like, what in the world is going on here? Like, I've done the same amount of work day after day, week after week, and I don't get to pick my meal whenever I bring up one project home. I don't get to go out for ice cream just because, you know, I bring in home a test that I did really well on. And I think about that story, and you put yourself into the first son, the, the first twin's viewpoint, and you're like, oh, I, I get it. I understand a little bit how I'd be tempted to be bitter and angry. 
Or maybe you're a Christian and you think back on your life and maybe you uh, were baptized or dedicated as a, as a young child and then you grew up in the church or in the faith and had a, very, you know, a, a, a childhood and teenage years where you uh, were close to the Bible and you know, kind of didn't, didn't, don't have like a dramatic story of kind of falling away from the faith or, or running after sin and then coming back to, back to Jesus in repentance. You just kind of had this steady faithful path that you've been on for 20, 30, 40 years, you never had that dramatic conversion experience, and for you, maybe being a Christian, you look back on your life, and it is, you know, wonderful, but it's also felt like a lot of hard discipline, a lot of fighting of sin, a lot of kind of trying your best to be a person of integrity, which are all good things, being faithful to your calling or to your spouse in a way that is true and real, but no one is lining up to write a movie about your life. It doesn't have that kind of redemption arc in your mind compared to other people, even people at our own church that, you know, were very far from the Lord and then God brought them back in. So maybe you relate to the older son in that way. You're annoyed and frustrated at the party being thrown for the younger son because you're like, I've been here the whole time. And if that's you today, I want you to hear that I don't want you to stay there, but I want you to hear that it's kind of understandable that that would be a temptation for you. So when we think about that older son, maybe he's trying so hard that it's kept the older son from actually experiencing his father's love. We think about that older son who has stayed, stayed at home and worked his whole life, but maybe that older son is terrified of failure. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe his mess, you know, the, the younger son's mess and sin is external for the world to see, but maybe that older son, maybe the younger son's mess is external for the world to see, but maybe the younger son is like, or the older son is like those Pharisees that Jesus said they clean the outside of the cup but the internal was a mess. Worried, anxious that one misstep is going to get him in trouble or kicked out of the family. And so then we understand it. It starts to make sense why the older brother is angry and also why it's so hard for him to love the younger brother. There's a number of the older youth or older kids uh, that have started these kind of small discipleship groups uh, that Miss Anna leads, and they study the passage we study on Sundays. They study it during the week. And Anna was meeting with two of the older boys, Miles and Jay, and they were talking about this passage. And Anna texted me this afterwards and said, you, you should use this. This is so good. And one of the things that the boys said is that when they think when the boys thought about the older son in this story, Miles and Jay said, it may be hard to forgive the younger brother, but at the end of the day, if you loved, that, if you loved your own little brother or sibling, then it helps a lot to forgive them. What they pointed out is the reality that this, this moment where the younger son comes home is not just the first time that older brother has thought about that younger brother. Since the younger brother walked away, there has been bitterness growing in that older brother for years and years and years. Because if he came home, if there was love in his heart towards the younger brother, he would have acted just like the dad did. But instead, where the dad's heart was compassionate, the older brother's was bitter and angry and hardened. He'd been carrying around that anger for years, maybe decades, since his younger brother left. 
It was a grudge holding against him. And bitterness, as we know, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who to attribute this to. My wife said it came from her, uh, which maybe it did. uh, But (laughs) bitterness is a poison uh, that you drink. You can go, I think it's in there somewhere. Bitterness is a poison that you drink thinking that it's going to hurt the other person. What this older brother is experiencing is deep bitterness towards the younger brother. And this is something that so many of us who have been wronged or feel like we've been wronged struggle with every day of our lives. And it comes out usually in three ways. There's usually three ways that it comes out. The first way it comes out is if when somebody has harmed us or done something that we feel like they they need to uh, repent to us or things that they have, even if they have repented, things that they have hurt us, their actions or their words have hurt us. The first reason, first thing we can know that we're holding on to that grudge is that we constantly remind them of it. It's something that maybe, you know, when you and your spouse or you and your friends or you and your roommates are getting along well, it's like, oh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that thing that you did last year or two years ago or earlier this month. But when a fight starts to happen in your home or between friends, what usually boils to the surface? That thing that they did wrong that you can hold over their heads. That's not a sign that they haven't repented necessarily, but it is a sign that you certainly haven't forgiven them. So we hold bitterness in our hearts. One way we see it is by reminding the other person. The other way that we see this is by reminding other people about what they have done. We will call this gossip or slander, which are are sins listed uh, alongside murder in the New Testament. Gossip and slander where we might say, well, you know, in the name of can you pray for me, I'm still struggling to forgive this person of that. With your close, intimate friends, yes, that's a prayer request that you would, I'd love for you to share. That's not a prayer request that we share church-wide because the motive for that is probably somewhat, I need everybody to remember what this person has done to me. We gossip about that person. We slander about that person because we are holding on to the bitterness and the grudge that we have over them based on the mistake or sin that they did in our lives. Can anyone relate to this? The third way we do it is that we remind ourselves. And I think this is the thing that comes up more often than not when we think about the things people have done wrong to us. Maybe we have control over our tongue enough not to tell them, or maybe even control over our tongue enough not to tell other people. But how often do you run through what they did over and over and over and over again in your own mind. And what happens when we do that, that is what happens, the result of that is we end up in the place the older brother ended up in this story. So when the younger son comes home, he has built up such hardness and bitterness that there's no room for love towards his brother. So when we think about this, how do we fight against that bitterness? First and foremost, we understand how much we have been forgiven and loved by God. Forgiven from and loved by God. If something feels unfair, I want you to remember back on a time when you were forgiven. 
We think about this with Jesus, with kind of talks about the plank in our own eye and the speck in someone else's. So often in wrong in relation wrongs in relationship, we are very quick to remind the other party of how they have wronged us, and also very quick to say, and don't forget, you should be forgiving me, forgiving me of what I've done to you. So we love to remind them of how they should be forgiving us while also reminding them of how they've wronged us. But the flip of that is thinking back on ways that you have messed up, ways that you've had to ask for forgiveness in the times where you've received that grace. And what did that feel like? The reality is that forgiven people forgive other people and bitter people just simply won't. Or have you ever said or thought to yourself, it's not fair that fill-in-the-blank didn't get punished? This is maybe something that happens in some of your homes with multiple siblings, maybe kiddos. Maybe you have thought about this where you, you know, a sibling does something that feels like, gosh, I feel like they should get punished for that. And your alarms go off in your mind, and all of a sudden you're, you're 10 feet tall looking around in the room and say, are we really going to act like this didn't happen? Are we really going to go through the day, act like so-and-so didn't just do what they did? It's not fair they didn't get punished. And we struggle with that because we have no awareness of how many of the times we should be punished and we're forgiven of it instead. Or we get mad when a younger sibling or a roommate or a spouse breaks something or does something that costs us something. But we forget, and especially when we think about siblings, that we were once that younger sibling and people had to forgive us. The two-year-old is not as responsible as the eight-year-old, but the eight-year-old sometimes believes that they should be and holds them to the same standard. So often that's us as adults as well. And ultimately, we have to recognize this is hard because forgiveness always comes at a cost. For the, forgot, forget, for the father, forgiveness came at a cost. It came at the cost of his reputation. Remember, when he, came after, when he uh, ran towards his younger son, lifting up his robe so he could kind of expose the lower parts of his leg, making a mess of who he was, his reputation was probably shattered by a number of people in the town. So many of the other adults in the town would have looked at him and been like, that guy is foolish for what he did. In order to forgive his son, he probably he would have gone against what a lot of people would have said. Well, maybe you know, he can come back, but let him earn his keep again. Let him really learn his lesson this way. So the father, in this moment, what he, the cost that he bears is his reputation and being looked down upon by the other people in the town. And he's definitely not getting that money back that he, or that, he, that he gave to the younger brother. He probably sold the land so he can't get the land back or the future earnings from the land. Forgiveness had a cost then and has a cost today. So how do we willingly pay the cost? Because when we forgive somebody, we are laying aside the, the, the revenge that we want to give to them. We're laying aside the, the will, the, our, our ability to say, I told you so, or remind them of their sin. That cost us in some way. But in order to do this, again, it goes back to remembering, remembering, remembering. We think back on God's ability to forgive us and remember just how much it cost him. 
And Jesus, even Jesus actually leading up to the cross where he pays for our sin, where he is not, you know, he doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, oh, I want them to be forgiven, so I, you know, magic poof and they're forgiven. He recognizes that in order for us to be forgiven, it's going to cost him his life because he has to pay for our sin. And it's terrible, as it's so terrible that even in the moments leading up to it, Jesus is like, is there any other way? I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can bear the cost of the payment for these people's sins. But he willingly does it. Our forgiveness cost him everything he had, and he willingly gave it. And this is why Lent, the season that we're in with the purple colors and talking about uh, fasting and repentance of sin, is so important to us. The prayer book, the Anglican prayer book that we refer to over and over again says that talking about Christians, we are miserable offenders and the extent to which we welcome in broken sinners into the family of God is always correlated to the, to the amount that we actually believe that statement, that we are miserable offenders. The elder brother is opposite. He can't forgive because he doesn't understand how loved he is. His, his actions come from a place of scarcity because he's looking at the situation. If you love him, that's less love for me. And he doesn't understand that the Father has an abundance of love. Everything I have is yours. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful picture of God. And if the older brother believed it, what a beautiful picture of what the church could look like. Brothers and sisters sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning, some that relate to the older brother that have kind of walked the quote-unquote straight and narrow, that struggle to understand how much they need God, but are willing to continue to confess and, and, and come to the Lord asking for forgiveness, sitting next to the younger brothers, the younger sisters in the, fa- in the, in the story that have made a mess of their lives, and maybe made mistakes that they thought, oh, I could never be forgiven for this. And then they learn about the gospel and they say, there's nothing that you've done that can keep you from the love of Jesus. And they come in brokenness and of the contrite heart, as Psalm 51 says, and accepts that forgiveness. And you all get to be in fellowship together. But it only comes to the extent we understand how much he offers that love to both of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the kindness and generosity of our benevolent Father in heaven. We're so grateful for the fact that we as Christians, we as brothers and sisters, are welcomed in, not based on our goodness, not based on us being righteous enough or having not made too many mistakes or not made the bad mistakes, but we are welcomed into the family of God because Jesus' finished work on the cross covers all of us. And Father, may we believe that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.